This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Earlier this week, Netflix made the decision to provide one year of paid maternity and paternity leave to employees who either have a child or adopt one. It's a topic that's been discussed broadly in America the last couple of years, since the U.S. uh, does not measure up as well as some other developed nations for the amount of leave provided. And it'll be a topic of continuing discussion for some time to come. Take a look at this. We are joined here in studio by Wharton Management Professor Peter Capelli, who's also director of the Center for Human Resources here at Wharton. And then joining us on the phone is Lottie Balin, who is a professor of management emerita at MIT. Peter, great to see you again. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you. Lottie, great to have you on the phone. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, I'll start with you, Lottie. Uh, The decision when you heard it, what was your first thought? Well, I had a double thought. Before I read it, I thought, it's wonderful. That's exactly what we need, though we need it nationally. But then I read it, the actual policy, and now I see a lot of problems. Where so? Well, a couple of things. It's too broad. It's too uncertain. Uh, It doesn't explicitly guarantee a job coming back, though I assume that's implicit. Uh, It leaves it much too open for fathers. They're not going to do it if they don't have a more specific mandate. And it's very individual between the employee and the manager, and I don't think that's going to work. I think the whole work group has to be involved in making these decisions Mm -hmm. and it's too open it needs i don't think people will come anywhere near to taking it if there aren't better guidelines of how it should be structured peter well it certainly sounds right i think the issue in organizations is that there are formal rules and there are informal rules right which is what lottie's saying and uh, and that is you could have this policy to take unlimited leave, but if nobody takes it, uh, do you want to be the first person to do it? Or are you yeah. going to look like the person who's the slacker? Right. So I, th- I think you know, you, you'd want to see whether this policy actually works once a, a real top executive takes it. Mm-hmm. That yeah. would be interesting to see. But uh, in the absence of, of that, you can have a formal policy, but the... You know, the proof is really in what happens in the ground. Do you think that this is something that, uh, you know, will obviously be in effect and maybe it is uh, in play for a year and then possibly tweaked at, at some point, Peter? Uh, you know, I think the th- there's been a lot of interesting practices that have bubbled up from Silicon Valley type companies. Sure, right? yeah, we had just yeah. a couple of months ago, we had that weird egg freezing one. Remember yes, that one where right. they were paying for women <laughs> to freeze their that's eggs? Right. Uh, and I think, you know, they're kind of tone deaf uh, in some ways, but they're, yes. they're also kind of trying to um, trying to pitch toward a, a Silicon Valley workforce, yeah. right, and sound like they're doing things which are worker kind of friendly. So whether they're really – these places are really serious about this stuff uh, or whether they are tossing out policies in an effort to try to attract this month's group of workers to them and – 
or just look like they're doing the right stuff. I think, you know, that's not so clear yet. Well, and Lottie, that's something that uh, in terms of of the hiring uh, in Silicon Valley, one of the things that's been brought up is uh, that there is obviously a lower level of, of female hires. Uh, with a lot of the Silicon Valley companies. I, I wonder if, you know, in some respects, that this uh, will play into this at some point down the road. Well, you know, Peter brings up the, the egg freezing policy, and like a lot of the policies of places like Google, in a way they're not really family or women-friendly. They really are there implicitly in a way to allow people to work more. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not sure that those, I mean, the egg freezing is, look, you don't have to have a child now. You can work. Just keep working. And some of their fancy stuff of providing dinner and everything is to make it easier for you to work. So to get at the point where the emphasis is not only on the work, but also on people's lives and what they really need that's what one would hope one would get. And with this Netflix policy, one would have to give much more guidelines. It's so Peter's right. If a top executive takes it, that's already a good step forward. But I would tend to help people structure it much better in terms not only of how much time they get to stay at home, but how do they phase back into the work so that you're dealing both with what the work mm. needs are and what the people needs are at the same time. We're talking with uh, Lottie Balin of MIT and also Wharton, uh, Wharton's Peter Capelli. We're talking about Netflix's decision on uh, extended leave, maternity, paternity leave. If you have a comment or a question that you would like to ask, please give us a call at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I guess one of the things that that obviously has been brought up in a variety of uh, of situations, and it plays into this a little bit, is the fact that companies have this, or, or at least they're being viewed now as we want to look out for your best interest as much as possible. As, as Lottie said, you know, with dinners and all kinds of different things. I saw uh, uh, an article in one of the publications this week that talked about. Uh, one of the Silicon Valley companies basically having an indoor driving range for golfers. You know, you can take a few minutes off. We have this perception that they are trying to look out for us, but again, Eladi, as you said, in some respects, they just don't want you to leave the office. Exactly. You know, I think there's there's also maybe a different aspect to this. If you think about this from the employer side, uh, how do you manage this benefit? Yep. Uh, so the benefit is that the employee could take off a unlimited period of time. Let's say that that's uh, that's the case, and let's say you were actually were an employer and and you had this mandate. How are you going to make it work? Mm-hmm. Well. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I think what typically happens, so let's say, you know, I, I decide I want to take off two or three months, you know, and and the idea is I will come back at some point. What happens during those two or three months? Well, the problem in most places is that my coworkers in the team just pick up the extra sure. work. Yep. Uh, they're not actually hiring somebody uh, to take my job for two or three months. It's everybody else picking up the slack. Uh, and that's a problem, right? That means that it's not really the company providing the uh, the benefit. It is my coworkers who are basically doing my work for me exactly. while, I, while yep. I'm but away. Peter, that's yep. exactly where the opportunity lies. Right, right. No, if I'm with before you. Before you go for two, three months, 
you and your coworkers, and not you and your manager, but you and your coworkers, sit down and figure out what's the work that needs to be done, how can it be done better. Mm-hmm. There are all sorts of possibilities of everyone gaining by that discussion, which is prompted by your wanting to take time off. Right. And I, but I think that's what happens, and, and my point was that uh, they do, typically don't do that. So it, oh. so it sounds like, you know, there's this benefit the company's offering you, but in fact, in practice, it's typically just your work group that's carrying everything. Yeah, it ends up being a negative for the other employees that have to stay around and pick up all that all that extra work. Although probably I would imagine that if a person takes off two to three months from a job, that at some point with the connectivity that we have working from home now, uh, that obviously being a factor in this, that person, whether they're off two or three months, they're still checking in. They're still going to try and do some of their work at some point because they have that that feel that they don't want to let that work kind of lay or or be lost in the right. you know in the in the waves. Right, and that that might be perfectly fine. Now, what what you'd hope, uh, I, I think, as Lottie's suggesting, is you'd hope if you do that, so you're on leave for a couple of months, but. You know, you're pitching in and you're checking all the time. We're hoping you get paid for that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right? uh, and we were hoping that that's all kind of part of the deal. I guess, you know, the to do this ideally involves, as Lottie was saying before, a lot of negotiation. Sure. And and that's why these, you know, these sort of top-down policies, I mean, for we have to have some sympathy for the employers in this, right? And mm-hmm. that is, you, you, even if you wanted to do the right thing uh, in a context like this, it's hard to do it simply with a series of policies at the top uh-huh. that you just say, and here will be the rules because, you know, there are always uh, needs which are a little idiosyncratic and figuring out how to make that work is tricky. Uh, on the other hand, you don't want to just simply devolve it to local managers because some local managers are perfectly good at this and could make it work and others are impossible with it, don't believe in it, and are just going to make it impossible to do. But so, you want to devolve it down to the work group, to the people working together and cooperatively figuring out how they can do their work given that people have individual needs that they'd like to meet. Mm-hmm. Although, Lottie, what do you do with a group of people, let's say there are five of us, and uh, I'm the one who's going to take off two months or so, and you know it looks like the other four are going to have to carry some of this. Um, well, What if they don't want to carry it? Yeah, but it, the point is... How can we change the way we're working so that when I'm gone, you're not overburdened? Mm -hmm. Because there's lots of work that is done that doesn't make much sense, that isn't thought out beforehand, that is sort of responding to crises. And if you sit down as a group of five and and you know more or less what has to be done, you can figure out how to do it in a more effective way that even four people can take over. And they're willing, and they're not overburdened. We've seen examples of this. The Best Buy Row was an example until they cut it out, that people could figure out how to do the work differently that allows them to manage better their own personal lives. We're talking with Peter Capelli of the Wharton School and Lottie Balin of MIT. Let me throw this question out to you. Mm-hmm. This decision, and then obviously Microsoft, you may have read, kind of jumped on board on this uh, right after the fact. 
How does this change? Is this going to be really just a Silicon Valley type of issue? Or will we eventually see this become, I mean, I've, it's been talked about a lot, but is this eventually going to become a national really push for this? You know, the U.S. is is about the worst industrial country in the world yeah. on this. Lottie probably knows. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, but it's also true that we're the worst on all kinds of things sure. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> with, with respect to the workforce. So, you know, it requires pollution a, and, and all kinds of different well, things. Just, that too. Yeah. Well, just in, in with respect to the workforce, you know, employers have tons of power here in, in the U.S. And in terms of at least regulations affecting employees. I know it seems if you're in the U.S. that there's a ton of them, yeah. uh, but they're fewer than there are in, in the rest of the world. So, you know, will we will we get more regulations? I think it'll take a political sea change uh, to do it. I, I think as Lottie was saying earlier, this idea of allowing the work group to flex and figure things out themselves might uh, really work for these organizations, but you have to have a management community that's willing to do that. Yeah. And yeah. In, the, in the current context right now, if, if you're a company, let's say, and you've never asked your employees to participate in any decisions, yeah. uh, a work-life policy like this is just not going to work very well. And I think that's, that's part of the problem is even if you've got a lot of these regulations here, how much would it help? Sure. Or would it just create more problems? Uh, and... You know, a lot of this might have to do with a way of thinking about employees differently, and that's a sea change, which is going to be very hard to pull off. Lottie? Yes. No, unfortunately, I agree with Peter. Well, it's not unfortunate but... you agreed with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. I take that back. But we do have isolated examples where this beginning to work. Mm -hmm. uh, the Best Buy row, and we've had good assessment of that, that worked. Uh, Leslie Perlow's work with BCG has shown that uh, it can work. Some of the changes that we've made have shown that it can work. So on the local level, I think you can make it work. And, we have ex and if we just advertised somehow these local experiments as much as we advertise these top-down policies... Mm -hmm. I think there might be a slow change. But uh, as you said, uh, a lot of this has to end up being negotiation between uh, the employees and the companies themselves just to have the expectation of, of what is going to happen during that time, correct? Yeah, well, the em yes, the employees get together, and we have, you know, lots of examples of groups of employees, all of a sudden two people are going off on maternity leave, they figure out how to do the work differently. Mm -hmm. uh, because the way we're doing all our work, you know, has, is not necessarily the most effective or the most efficient. Mm -hmm. So it's an opportunity to do the work more effectively, which in the end helps not only those people who are going on leave, but helps everybody. You know, one of our colleagues, uh, Denise Rousseau at uh, Carnegie Mellon, did some interesting work studying organizations and looking to see to what extent inside the workplace people had cut these special deals with their immediate supervisor mm -hmm. that didn't necessarily conform to company policy, right? Uh, and it turned out that it was actually a majority uh, of cases. Hmm. There were sp uh, special deals cut with your supervisor about how to get things done and sure. about your work schedule and things like that. And 
in most cases, these things were either in violation of the company's policy or um, the company's policy didn't necessarily affirm them, and they happened anyway. Uh, so I think that's another possibility, I suppose, is that a lot of these things could be worked out at the local level. You know, the problem there is that this issue of inequality, who's your supervisor, right? If you've got a supervisor <laughs> yeah, right. who's perfectly sympathetic to this stuff, that's that's one thing. you got one who is not, that's right. absolutely another. And, you know, if the company as a whole doesn't manage this with a culture, right, that yeah. says it is important to work these things out and our executives do it as well and – they take time off and they get the stuff done, and that's what really counts. Uh, you know, the problem is none of these rules are going to matter very much uh, unless you change those things. And these things that are percolating up from Silicon Valley, I think, are really all driven by um, a very tight labor market out there and the effort to try to recruit people yep. and look like you are the place that's going to be sympathetic to, in this case, women or parents. Um, but they haven't really changed how they operate. Yeah. Uh, and they right. haven't really thought about what it would mean to operate differently. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think they particularly want to. Right. I don't think exactly. that that has crossed their mind that yeah. this would actually require a different way of operating. Uh, and so I think, you know, as with most of these things, the, thing, the change has to kind of come from the top. We don't see any real evidence <laughs> yeah. that that's happening with these yeah. things yet. Mm -hmm. That's hard to get anything good coming from the top at times. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that that's part of the issue, right, is that yeah. people at the top often feel that they have achieved their position sure. because they sort of sucked everything up, yep. and therefore you all should suck it up as well. And often the people at the top have not had the experiences of the people underneath them. They don't have a bunch of kids, or they're not single parents. It's a little difficult for them to imagine how that plays out. But I think also it's more fundamental, and the fundamental is do we really have a responsibility to our employees or not? So, and, and I think the move in the last generation or so has been that Eh, we probably don't, you know, so, particularly so, out there. So with some of the these perceptions, that, that, uh, Lottie, uh, is the philosophy of they're concerned about losing employees, so this is why they're doing it, is that a little bit of a smokescreen? Well, I, you know, I think they compete with each other on these so-called benefits, but as Peter rightly pointed out, they don't necessarily make for... A different culture. I think we do have some examples of companies where there is more genuine concern for people's lives. And if we could advertise and, and make those much more evident, even uh, Denise's specific examples are usually kept very secret. And if somehow one could at least get them out into the public mind, mm -hmm. there might slowly be some, ch some change. But I think it's right. If the top management is, does not really feel uh, social obligation, if you will, to make sure that his people or her people and the community in which the company is be viable in some way, then it's pretty hopeless. But it's a very pessimistic view of our country. 
We're talking with Peter Capelli uh, of the Wharton School, Lottie Balin of MIT. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If you have a comment about uh, Netflix deciding to provide one year of paid maternity or paternity leave, for employees that have a child or adopt one, again, 844-942-7866. You know, one other thing which I think has, has happened here is that the generation of people running a lot of companies is, you know, a decade or two older sure. than the yeah. people who uh, are coming into these companies now, often of child-bearing kind of age. And, you know, they're probably scratching their heads and saying, where is all this com- complaining coming from about uh child leave policies and all that kind of stuff. We didn't have it when I was coming <laughs> right. through. But one of the things that has changed is hours of work have gone up so much yep. in these companies, yeah. right? Yep. Um, so it is a different experience. You know, many more two-career couples for sure, but also what it means to work for a company um, is very different now. You know, we're another thing we're really bad at is vacations and time off, right? <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're leading the bottom of the, the table, world table, in the least vacation time, least holidays, least vacations. Uh, and so we don't have that. Hours of work have gone way up. And that's, you know, that's why this is becoming an issue uh, that really bites for people. When you, know? you, when you hear those numbers, and obviously the numbers about uh, the time worked uh, in the office, how much also is included in that the, is, is the time that we work from home or the time, oh, yeah. or, the exactly. time or the time that, you know, You're on we, call. we get an email sure. on our smartphone and yeah. it's from somebody we work with say, right. hey, we need to think about this project for next week. You know, that all right, that's absolutely. all stuff that adds up in this. Well, you know, I, uh, I have a colleague uh, who's a, a labor lawyer and he says that uh, when he started 20 or 30 years ago, the Fair Labor Standards Act, which governs... Mm-hmm. Overtime hours and hours of work yeah. was something nobody paid any attention to. Sure, yeah. It was really irrelevant uh, because no employers actually got close to those minimums. And now, a generation later, this is the hot topic. And why is it the hot topic? Because so many employers are now pushing against those limits, which yep. were set in the 1930s, yeah. right? Yeah. In terms of how you're managing employees. So, you know, I, th- I think, unfortunately, at least looking at our students here, when they look at these kinds of careers and career paths, none of them expect to stay in these companies very long. Sure. And I think nobody is expecting to balance work and life in these companies. They're expecting to go there for three years, get their ticket punched, and go somewhere else. Yeah. Now, maybe but, for some of these companies, that's kind of okay for them, but uh, nobody is imagining that they're going to be able to stay there. Lottie? But where are they going to go? Well, that's a good question. They, yeah. This is why many of our folks, anyway, are talking about starting their own companies, which is astonishing when you think about it, that you would have more work-life balance starting yeah. a company. Well. Uh, no, ex- exactly. <laughs> well, what we find, our students as uh, say they definitely want to have a much more equal relationship. They want to have full participation in their families and their kids, and we get that from both male and female students. But then as you follow them up and as it goes, it's very hard to keep that up. And there are efforts that are being made by people like the Third Path Institute, and you're part of the woods, Peter, who are helping people to at least from their individual levels to negotiate ways of working and staying in these companies that does allow them to also share fully in their families. And so there are efforts around, 
uh, that give me some hope that uh, there's going to be some change that employers will realize that burning people out is not to their benefit. Mm. Absolutely. Well, and, and then also you see a lot of people that not only you know are desire are, are coming out of college saying they want to have their own career, their own company, but you see a lot of people making that decision at forty, forty five, right. maybe even fifty years of age, right. say I've had enough of the corporate world. Right, right. I, I, I want to go, mm-hmm. you know, work for a nonprofit, or I want to mm-hmm. do something that mm-hmm. you know gives my life some meaning, and that's mm-hmm. a huge change that realistically wasn't here thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's right. And you know, one other thing which is kind of interesting is people starting to shop countries. That's starting true, yeah. to say, you yep. know, look, I yep. could work in any country, and yep. what's it going to be like living in this one? I mean, you can see it right now in China, where people are bailing out of Shanghai sure. uh, for issues of pollution, right? And they want to go to Hong Kong, where it's a little cleaner, or Singapore. Yep. And so, you know, these issues outside of of work become competitive advantages for companies trying to hire people. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of people leaving Greece right now because the economy is so poor for sure, yeah. may go away yeah. for 10 years and then come back. Yep. Exactly. Yep. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.